the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Black Friday. Good afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, your friends, whomever you were able to gather with. That you enjoyed it and that things didn't get too testy with the politics. Because that certainly can happen where you get frustrated and, you know, you're at the Thanksgiving dinner and there's some political disagreements. And then people, next time, next thing you know, they're throwing turkey at each other and getting gravy all over. Maybe there's a pie thrown right in the face. Who knows what can go down in some of those contentious Thanksgiving meals. But I do hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, one and all. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the program. If you want to join into the festivities today, 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. You can tweet at me directly. At Sang Center is my Twitter handle, Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. Please do give me a follow there if you're in the Twitterverse. And might as well... Tweet at Tubbs Show when you're tweeting at me during the show today, because that is the Tubbs Show handle. Of course, at 710KNUS is the 710KNUS Twitter handle. Pretty darn simple, that one. You can also email me a few ways to do that directly. You can log on to 710KNUS.com and go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. Indeed, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning. From 6 to 9, right here on News Talk 710 KNUS, meaning I'm closing things out tonight and back in tomorrow morning, both with Leroy Doffenbaugh, who will, by the way, be joining us on the air a little later in the program to offer uh, insights on the increasingly likely railroad strike and what the implications could be. Leroy was a trucker for many years. Looking forward to talking with Leroy about that. But back to the emailed ways you can get in touch with me. You can also log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com, where you can access all my columns and articles that I write, as well as link over to the podcast for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. But, of course, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. And again, that telephone number, 303-696-1971. We're going to have a little bit of lighter flair, I think, today. And a little bit of serious conversation as well. Keith Nobles will join me. He is the author of the novel, Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale. I often often have him on to talk about national security matters because he is... 
a longtime military intelligence contractor, well, formerly in the last decade of the Cold War. But I really want to have him on in his capacity as a citizen of the Cherokee Nation to get his thoughts on Thanksgiving and the story around Thanksgiving and the pilgrims. Is it somehow offensive? Is it something that's a myth that we should be critical of? How should we look at it? We'll talk with Keith about that, particularly because Joy Reid over on MSNBC had some choice words, both for the myth of Thanksgiving and also blasting America's founding. We'll be talking with Keith Nobles about all that coming up in the next segment. Also in the five o'clock hour, I'll be joined by my good friend Jeff Crump, who for decades was in the music business. Longtime listeners to my show will know Jeff as the regular fixture on what we call music with Crump. Jeff Crump was the right-hand man for Barry Fay, the legendary concert promoter for, I believe, a decade or so. He went on to tour manage Aerosmith for five years, tour managed Run DMC and Public Enemy, numerous other acts as well, and was a promoter for you name it. He worked with them. Chuck Berry to the Rolling Stones to you name them. He worked with them. The Allman Brothers did a lot of work with them, particularly when he was a vice president at Live Nation. Live Nation in 2010 became the parent company of Ticketmaster when they merged. And of course, Ticketmaster now in the news because of last week's massive disruptions with Taylor Swift tickets on the Ticketmaster website. Many a young girl and young adult woman were upset about Taylor Swift's tickets and what happened there, understandably so. But what's going on here, and is it something, in terms of Ticketmaster, that Congress should actually be involved in? Because Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat senator from Minnesota, is now saying, look, this is an antitrust issue, and we need to look into it. In 2010, Live Nation and Ticketmaster were allowed to merge. They, mm -hmm. The combined company now has 70% of ticket sales. So in truth, there's no other choice. And that's what's going on. There is a monopoly. They also have quickly and quietly bought so many venues and arenas. So it is a vertical integration. That's why we are pushing the Justice Department to look at this and to look back at that consent decree of which they have power over that consent decree. I talked to Senator Mike Lee last night. We chair the committee on antitrust. We are going to go ahead with a hearing on Ticketmaster um, this year. Now, that was from a week ago today, but a couple of days ago, it picked up steam where it was officially announced that Congress, particularly the United States Senate, is going to hold a hearing. We're really going to get down to the nitty gritty of how this works. It's going to be very interesting. Nobody better to break it down than Jeff Crump. I'm looking forward to speaking with him in the next hour, plus in the third hour. I'm not going to say who, but we're going to have a very fun, very special guest calling into the show. I'm looking forward to that. And a railroad strike is on the way. Well, at least it increasingly seems like that, even though the Biden administration just a couple of months ago heralded in that we thwarted a potential strike. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. 
because we reached a tentative deal. Well, guess what? The deal that they reached just punted. And now, because not all the rail unions have signed on to an agreement, I think four out of 12 rail-related unions, if I recall correctly, have not agreed to what the Biden administration had worked out. It looks like there may well be on December 9th a strike with epic implications for the country. Epic implications as far as, look, you, you go to the ports, products come in from overseas after being manufactured, they get to the ports, then they go on the rail, and then it makes its way to the truckers. We'll dive into that and update you fully on what's happening in that regard and get some insights from longtime trucker himself, the producer extraordinaire here on the Stefan Tub Show, as well as the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, Leroy Doffenbaugh. So we've got lots to talk about today here on the program. I do want to tease this, though, because it's interesting when you talk about this rail strike. Just was it? This morning or yesterday, Biden claimed he's not been engaged in the rail talks. Can you talk about what the holdup is, Mr. President? I can't because it's the middle of negotiations still. But uh, have you been in touch with the parties again? My team has been in touch with all the parties in rooms with the parties, and uh, I have uh, I I have not directly engaged yet because they're, they're still talking. I have not directly engaged yet because they're still talking. huh? Well, here's a question for you. On Tuesday, then, did Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, lie at the White House? The president is indeed involved directly, uh, but I, I don't want to get into details at this time, but he has been involved. He remains focused, again, on protecting America's families. We have to avoid uh, a rail shutdown. Wait, so who's telling the truth? Biden or KJP, who is telling the truth there? Either way, it ain't looking good. And Pete Buttigieg isn't looking good, by the way. He is, of course, the uh, the transportation secretary. The former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, ran for president of the United States in a failed bid. And, you know, he's for the for an administration that says they are so pro-union when the stakes get high. Well, maybe they buckle under that the pressure just a little bit from being the most pro-union presidency in history. Will the administration support the rail workers if they strike? Well, look, our goal right now is to make sure that doesn't happen. And we're urging the parties to get to the table and to do whatever it takes to prevent a shutdown. Uh, A shutdown is a scenario that is not acceptable. We got through the worst of the days in terms of the shipping backlogs. We've made headway on trucking. Uh, But if we don't have a healthy, functioning, strong rail system... I mean, can the American economy deal with it if it happens? It would not be good. I mean... Catastrophic. We don't have enough trucks or barges or ships in this country to make up for the rail network. It's it's a really important part of our economy. Huh. Interesting from the Biden administration. You can't get a straight answer from the president himself or a press secretary on what the hell's going on and what their view is and whether Biden is working on it directly or not. And then Buttigieg is there saying, well, we're the most pro-union administration ever, but 
it's not acceptable if this shutdown happens. Hmm. Well, we'll see how things unfold. This is serious and significant. The Biden administration is not looking good. And here's the thing. When they reach this deal, this short-term deal in September, it was basically punting past the election because of the electoral implications. Here is Labor Secretary Marty Walsh explaining back in September all about the bullet that the country dodged. What was at stake here? Uh, the, the supply chain, uh, working about the president trying to bring down global uh, inflation pressures, uh, domestic inflation pressures, uh, and, and understanding that if, if this strike happened tonight, which would have been tonight at 12 o'clock, it would have devastating impacts on the American economy. And they didn't want that until after the election. So they worked out an arrangement to get this crisis, potentially, to happen post-election. My goodness. While they constantly are punting things, they are constantly were playing political games by postponing or attempting to postpone certain actions. So, for example, you had Saudi Arabia. The request to Saudi Arabia was, please wait to cut production of oil in OPEC until after the election. And then the Saudi Arabian government, the kingdom, basically called out the Biden administration for this and certainly didn't oblige that request. Well, then also the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Petroleum was purchased from the reserve or or was put out from the reserve, and now the administration is going to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at 70 dollars a barrel and that is i believe like two years after they blocked the republicans after the democrats blocked republicans from doing so before by the way biden went ahead and released from the reserves they wanted to fill it up at 24 dollars a barrel take a listen to a biden energy administration advisor amos hotstein on this look we we We've been tapping the SPR, and I don't think there's much criticism today for what we've done. We, that was a critical part. Uh, the releases from the SPR are a critical part of bringing prices down when we did them. Just imagine if we had not increased supply by a million barrels a day. But today, we have to be, we have to be really opportunistic and look at the market and where it is to see if it makes sense to do continued SPR releases. The president was, would like to replenish the SPR in full. Uh, of what we release, uh, an additional 180 to 200 million barrels. And I think when prices start reaching towards that $70 mark, uh, that's when we're probably going to be looking at some, somewhere around that range of 70, 72, 73, or maybe a little bit below that. Uh, we'll look to uh, immediately begin to increase uh, and to repurchase uh, oil into the SPR. And that's because we need to have uh, an SPR that is fuller than it is today for national security and economic emergencies in the future. Let's wait until after the election for the all-knowing, all-powerful, wise and frugal federal government to spend $70 a barrel refilling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And let's do it for good measure two years after Republicans tried to do it at a significantly reduced price. The gains that they play, ladies and gentlemen. But then again, when you have a president who doesn't take a question about his physical seriously, 
particularly a president like Joe Biden, who just had his 80th birthday, then this should be not surprising. When will you get your annual physical, Mr. President? When you think I need it? <laughs> you just had a birthday. <laughs> I've gotten my I will get it. Part of my physical is already done, and I'll be getting it before the end of the year. He laughs about it. Not taking it seriously. They play games, and they're going to keep playing games. And they go through the election, not taking certain actions, and then suddenly the election's over, and bada-boom, bada-bing, here they are. With a rail strike on the horizon, with a massive purchase to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and more. And there's the president joking about his physical after he just turned 80. Hmm. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. How about Thanksgiving? Should we tell that old story of the pilgrims and the Indians meeting in Massachusetts and having the first Thanksgiving? Or is that something that eh, bad to tell, harmful to tell? And how about the founding of this country? We're going to react along with Keith Nobles to the latest from Joy Reid over on MSNBC. What does Joyless have to say? We'll get to that and more coming up on the other side again. Jimmy in for Stephen Tubbs, News Talk 710 KNUS. One of my favorites. Jimmy Singenberger in for Stephen Tubbs. Sent Leroy some bumpers this afternoon, and we've got a couple of classics this hour to kick things off on my show every Saturday morning. Now, tomorrow through Christmas Eve, we will be playing Christmas bumpers, but for the most part, Christmas bumpers you won't hear anywhere else. So that'll be fun. We're kicking things off today. I'm in that Holiday spirit, I'm in the Christmas spirit. Let's say it loud and proud, Christmas spirit. But to me, I think of Thanksgiving and no place like home for the holidays kind of going hand in hand as like the kickoff for Christmas post-Thanksgiving. Maybe that's just me, but that's the mindset that I bring to that tune, and you gotta love it, Perry Como, with There's No place like home for the holidays. Good afternoon. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Once again, in for Stefan Tubbs. News Talk 710 KNUS. And over on MSNBC, she's not very joyful. She's pretty joyless. Joy Reid, joyless Joy Reid, took to the United States of America again and took to the notion of Thanksgiving that a lot of kids have in mind when they are brought up in this country, that you have two disparate groups of people getting along, the Pilgrims and the Indians. Here is a piece of what Joy Reid said on MSNBC, I believe, last night or maybe it was Wednesday night. We begin tonight with Thanksgiving, the day we gather with friends and family to enjoy turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, and pumpkin pie. We throw on the game, catch up on our lives, and then discuss or quite possibly argue, about religion and politics. For millions of Americans, it's a day of cherished traditions. And as Americans, we certainly value those traditions. But it's also important to unpack the myth of Thanksgiving. It is a holiday riddled with historical inaccuracies, built on this myth that the indigenous welcomed their colonizers with open arms and ears of corn. 
a simplistic fairy tale interpretation of a 1621 encounter between indigenous tribes and English settlers that erases the genocide that followed. It's the truth Republicans want banned from our textbooks. Because here's the secret they want so desperately to keep. We are a country founded on violence. Our birth was violent. In 1619, a ship with more than 20 enslaved Africans landed in Virginia, ushering in two centuries of American slavery that left millions in chains or dead. Talking about a simplistic fairy tale encounter. And she's suggesting that it's harmful as well. And of course, putting forward a narrative about the United States of America that basically suggests we're an evil country fundamentally. What are we to make of that? How should we approach Thanksgiving from that myth idea, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing to have kids raised in that story? And then what about the broader implications for our country of the idea perpetuated by folks on the left like Joyless Reed that America was founded upon false principles, that America was simply a, a country founded upon violence, etc.? Let's dive into these topics with my good friend Keith Nobles, who is the author of the novel Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect tale and dystopian tale. And he is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Good afternoon, Keith. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Happy day after Thanksgiving to you, Jimmy. <laughs> I appreciate it. So uh, let me just sort of ask, top line, what do you make of that little diatribe from Joy Reid about Thanksgiving and, and Chris, or the, the founding of our country? I think it's absolutely disingenuous. And, and here's why it's disingenuous, Jimmy. And you know me, I, I could talk about why what she said was disingenuous for probably 20 hours. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try and be really succinct and to the point here. So she makes the same error the 1619 Project and other people make, and it's not really an error. It's more of a deceit. And that the country was not founded in 1619 or 1621. This country was founded July 4, 1776, and was founded on the principle that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So they arbitrarily pick a date that they find politically convenient for themselves and ignore what the reality is. 1619, 1621 was not the founding of the United States. July 4, 1776 was. It was founded on the principle that all men are created equal. So just start with, with that level of disingenuousness here in, in these arguments. Yeah, well, let me ask you specifically about the Thanksgiving piece, because look, I remember growing up in this with this narrative, the the idea that you had the pilgrims come over to the country and to Massachusetts in 1620 or thereabouts. And what did you have? You had a great meal where the pilgrims and the Indians enjoyed each other's company. And it doesn't talk about. The, in, the the fighting, the violence, those kinds of things that we know did happen um, at, at that point. And it was colonizers that were coming over to a new land for sure. So here's the question. Is it, as Joy Reid alludes to, harmful for, for us to mix in with some truth the mythos of the first Thanksgiving? 
Well, how much of the first Thanksgiving is mythology and how much is reality is probably unknowable at this point. But right. my guess is most of what happened is probably mythology. Now, mythology where two groups of people got together and shared a meal is probably not a horrible mythology. <laughs> things that happened later were horrible, but I, I really want to drill into the things that happened later. Because this is where Miss Reed and others of her ilk are so disingenuous. I'll use that word again because I, I don't know of a, a better term to describe them. So, <clears throat> you know, July 4th, 1776, all men are created equal. After we drafted the Constitution, George Washington, being the first president, had the first Indian policy. And George Washington's Indian policy was to invite the Indian nations into the family, into the United States, to become Americans. And five tribes would accept that offer. We, the Cherokee, would be the first. In 1807, we would send the Ridge to the White House and tell Thomas Jefferson, we accept the offer, we become Americans. And the next 20 years we spent becoming Americans as Cherokee. We, we remade our society to comply with American standards. We became a republic, then we became a constitutional republic. By the end of the 1820s, we had something like a 92% literacy rate. We fully consider ourselves to be Americans. But what happened here, starting in the 1820s, was the rise of the Democrat Party. And the Democrat Party was founded on these two principles, not just the preservation, but the expansion of slavery and Indian removal. And we were lucky by the time Andrew Jackson was elected in 1828 that they decided on Indian removal because much of the 1820s, the Democratic Party spent debating if Indians should be removed or annihilated. And Andrew Jackson came down on the side of removal, and so removal it was. But understand, after the United States government, George Washington has spent 30 years extending this offer to become Americans. Five tribes had accepted it. Every other tribe that had contact at that point with the United States was watching how it was going to work out for those five tribes, was watching if we could make this work, because that was by far the, the easiest solution to the dilemmas they faced. And Andrew Jackson and the Democrats revoked that offer. They said, you can't be Americans. You can never be Americans. And uh, this is what kicked off that whole 60-year period between 1830 and Wounded Knee in 1890. That was not an inevitability. The same with slavery. Uh, people like Joy Reid and others who believe what she believes say the Constitution institutionalized slavery. Well, that's not true. Frederick Douglass certainly didn't believe that. Right. Quite the opposite. Right. And it wasn't until 30 years later with the Democrats that this argument started to be made that the Constitution institutionalized slavery. That was a slave owner's argument. That was not the argument of the men who drafted the Constitution. And the Democrat Party becomes the party of slavery, the party of civil war, the party of Jim Crow, the party of discrimination and the party of the Ku Klux Klan. So Joy Reid and people like her want to say, well, it's the fault of Americans, or it's the fault of white Americans, or it's the fault of white American men, or it's the fault of straight white American men. Or Republicans. But, you want to even get more specific, Republicans. Exactly. And all these
about because of Democrats. Both the, the issues we had with Indian rights, with the relationship with the Indian nations, and slavery. These were these, these were Democrats. I mean, let's, let's not mislead and others like her trying to move the blame for these things to people that the blame does not fall on and trying to move it off of the people it does fall on. Keith Nobles is our guest. He is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. He is the author of the novel Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale. It really, if you go to Frederick Douglass, you make a profound point in bringing Frederick Douglass up. Because a lot of times the left will bring up his speech, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July from the 1850s, when slavery was still rampant in our country. We had not had the Civil War yet, no 13th Amendment yet. And they will bring up where he talks about the brutality of slavery, and he talks about the institution being something that America is holding to and not disposing of and so forth. But at the same time, he specifically talks about how the Constitution, you can't find anywhere in the Constitution the word slavery not to be found anywhere for a reason he brings that up, basically saying slavery is anathema to the U.S. Constitution, to the principles of the Declaration of Independence. And that is quite the opposite of what Joy Reid tries to perpetuate, which is the idea that the Constitution enshrined slavery as an institution when Frederick Douglass is saying, no, actually, you're not living up in the 1850s. You're the United States Americans. You are not living up to your founding principles, which I think, by the way, is a much more powerful and valuable message anyway, not to mention it's the true one. Oh, no, exactly, Jimmy. You're, you're exactly right. Um, what very often happens, if you go to these progressive websites, you'll find that speech. Frederick Douglass's What is the Fourth of July to a Slave speech. And you'll find that you snippets of it. They don't put the whole speech out there. Because Douglass does start the speech, and spend a good part of the speech, talking about how horrible slavery was before he turns it around. And he places that burden on the shoulders of the people doing it, not on the Constitution. Well, And here, Keith, you just shared something very profound. George Washington extended an invitation to the Indian nations. The Cherokee Nation was the first to take him up on that when Thomas Jefferson was president in 1807. There ended up being five nations that did so. George Washington, last I checked, as well as Thomas Jefferson, they were founding fathers, right? As opposed to the future Democrat, Andrew Jackson, who would be the one to have the trail of tears and the other torturous policies of Indians in this country. Yes, exactly. Andrew Jackson is the first Democrat elected president. And those are his policies. The first thing they do is they revoke this invitation to Indian nations to become Americans. And they say, not only can you not become Americans, you can't even live near white people. We are going to adopt this policy of moving all the Indians out to the Great Plains. And, and this is what they proceed to do. That was not the Constitution. That's not – that wasn't even a thought for 30 years. It was quite the opposite. It was, we're going to continue to extend this invitation to join the family, join America, become Americans. 
Keith Nobles, just a few minutes left with our guest, Keith, who, again, is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. I want to go back to and ask a question, but back to the Thanksgiving issue, because that dovetails in with everything else that we're talking about. There's someone who wrote a piece for the Smithsonian that I feel is very much being echoed by Joy Reid in the clip that we played from MSNBC. Claire Bugos wrote this piece in which she said of the Thanksgiving story, it does damage to how our native countrymen and women feel as part of this country. It makes white Americans a lot less reflective about where their privilege comes from, and it makes us a lot less critical as a country when it comes to interrogating the rationales that leaders will marshal to act aggressively against foreign others. If we're taught to cut through the colonial rhetoric, we'll be better positioned to cut through modern colonial and imperial rhetoric. That's the Smithsonian Magazine, by the way, Keith Nobles. But that attitude is one that impugns so many that ought not to be impugned compared with the what you were just talking about for those who actually should be criticized. Yeah, well, Jimmy, I find it pretty absurd that people talk about being anti-colonial while quoting 19th century German philosophy. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is, and that's really what, what they're doing there. Um, so here's the thing. If you're going to... What is almost always admitted, omitted is George Washington's invitation to the Indian nations to become Americans, and that Indian nations actually adopted that, accepted that invitation. And who and why that policy was reversed is almost never discussed. People may discuss the Trail of Tears, but they almost never discuss the reversal, or that the policy existed, or who and why it was reversed. And even after that policy was reversed, even during and after the Trail of Tears, we, Cherokee, insisted we were Americans. That, that was not an offer you could take back. And we have insisted to this day, we're just Americans. This is what we are. And uh, the idea that people who have no knowledge of, of this history, no, no knowledge of this culture, no knowledge of what happened, are really trying to hoodwink other people. And that's really what Joy Reid is trying to do here. Well, not just hoodwink them, make them feel guilty. Well, exactly. Yes. And the people who should feel guilty are Democrats. They're the ones who did that. <laughs> you had people like Frederick Douglass and Elias Boudinot who fought valiantly against these policies of the Democrats. You had people who gave their lives in opposition to these policies by the Democrats because the, the policies of the Democrats were an explicit reputation that all men are created equal. Hmm. You had people who actually bought that. Be they Frederick Douglass, be they slaves or freed slaves, be they citizens of these Indian nations. Hmm. You had people actually believe that. And, yeah, the Democrats pretty much pulled the rug out from under everybody. That, that, that was their whole intent. That was the whole reason. Cutting right through the false narrative cloth that we keep hearing about. Very well done, Keith Nobles. My friend, folks can follow you at Author Nobles on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, as always. And happy belated Thanksgiving and an early Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you, Jimmy. Once again, Keith Nobles joining us here on the program. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. Check out his fascinating novel, Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale. Is that a history that you heard before? 
Have you been introduced to what Keith just described in detail and put into perspective for us? Well, now you heard it. Now you know. We'll be right back. Keep it right here. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. What's your reaction to what Keith just elucidated on and how it stands in stark contrast to Joyless Reed from MSNBC. News Talk 710, KNUS, don't go anywhere. The two songs for me that let me know we are here in the Christmas season, there's no place like home for the holidays, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. Of course, Andy Williams. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. In for Stefan Tubbs today, News Talk 710 KNUS, wrapping up the day and starting tomorrow, 6 to 9, with the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to bring Leroy behind the glass on the air to talk a little bit about what might happen, the implications of a rail strike that may happen on December Ninth, because that's a big deal. And then we'll be joined by Jeff Crump, who was in the music business for decades as a promoter, a tour manager. He was a vice president for Live Nation, which in 2010 purchased Ticketmaster. Nobody better to talk to about what's happening with Ticketmaster and all of that and the Taylor Swift issue and ticket resellers and scalpers and so forth than Jeff Crump. That's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll have a special fun guest in the 6 o'clock hour as well. Plus, if you want to join into the festivities, ample time today. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. One listener reminding me that MSNBC's Joyless Read is a product of... Denver Public Schools. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Now, it was back in the 1980s that she was in DPS, I believe. But nevertheless, she is a DPS graduate, and that most definitely sounds right to me. Another listener text. I'm checking with Keith Nobles on this. Who and when was the last president that implemented those kinds of policies toward Native Americans? Double checking with Keith Nobles because my memory escapes me on that. Once I have an answer, Bruce in Denver, I shall provide. Of course, our telephone number 303-696-1971. When we look at Thanksgiving, of course, we had the topic in the last segment with Keith Nobles and the insanity of some of these left-wingers and how they approach something like Thanksgiving in their narrative. But yesterday morning, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, there was a little technical snafu. Their turkey tech was a little rocky when Biden, President Biden and Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, went on with NBC News at their Thanksgiving Day Parade, and uh, this happened. Uh, You know, I'm just admiring all the marching bands, the balloons, the floats that everyone has come out here to see. You know, each one was designed and built entirely by the inspired artists who work year-round at the Macy's Parade Studio. Wait, guys, I think I'm I'm getting a phone call. You know, I'm not one to take a phone call during TV. Oh, but I I think I should answer this one. 
She shows Hello, Mr. President? Biden's picture on the phone. I don't think I can hear you. Can you hear me, Mr. President? Yeah. Hello? Happy Thanksgiving, Mr. President. Are you there? Well, we're here. Oh, <laughs> I was so worried this call wasn't going to go through. How are you? We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> I don't know. I got a real kick out of that technical snafu. NBC and Biden, Biden seems to be all confused, which sounds about par for the course. But you know what? That's the way things go sometimes, certainly when you have a live program like that. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Stefan Tubbs. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Let's have some more fun in the next two hours. Give us a call, 303-696-1971. Have you been out and about for Black Friday? What's the experience been like with your shopping? Pretty busy or more subdued? Lots coming up in the next hour. Jimmy in for Stefan. Keep it here. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.